I recently hit 600 episodes of being a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I told you guys I was going to make it up to you because I wanted to bring in a special guest. So joining me on today's show... That's right, 1995 Stanley Cup champion and former captain of the New Jersey Devils, Bruce Driver, is accompanying me on today's very special episode. There's a lot to talk about with Bruce, so buckle up, everybody. You're Locked On Devils, your daily podcast on the New Jersey Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, this is Bryce Salvador, and you're Locked On Devils with Trey Matthews. All righty now, what is up, New Jersey? Welcome back to the Locked On Devils podcast here on Locked On Network. I'm your host, college hockey play-by-play announcer, Devils writer for Pucks and Pitchforks, and also part-time credentialed media member, Trey Matthews. I have a very special guest joined alongside me for today's episode. He won a Stanley Cup with the New Jersey Devils back in 1995, but not only that, he was one of the leaders of the team since he was an assistant captain. During the Stanley Cup playoff run, he had the best plus minus amongst all defensemen with an impressive plus 13 as it played alongside the likes of Scott Stevens, Martin Brodeur, Scott Niedermeyer, Cam Danico, John McClain, and others. It's Bruce Driver. Bruce, how you doing? Thank you for joining me on today's show. Doing great today, Craig. Thanks for having me. Uh, and, and I know you're a busy man, won't try to uh, hold you uh, longer, but uh, I want to give a shout out to one of your former players uh, who currently plays on Arizona State's women's hockey team. And obviously I do play by play for a fair amount of their games. It's Logan Satara for setting this up. Normally I don't do shout outs on my show, but just wanted to give a special thank you and appreciation to Logan Satara since she, um, like I said, is one of your former players and did arrange for this to happen. So um, I want to start, we, we have some questions lined up from fans, but I first want to get some background information. Where did hockey begin for you? Wow. <laughs> that go back, goes back many years. So I, I grew up in Toronto, Canada. Uh, anybody that knows anything about Canada, we, they say we're born with, with skates on our feet, and that's pretty much the case. Uh, my brother's two and a half years older than I am. Uh, my father played recreationally. He was a coach as well. Um, I learned to skate at three years old, um, and I was on my first team at four years old. Unfortunately, I had to play on my brother's team, uh, which was a little bit scary the first uh, time I stepped on the ice because all these kids were two and three years older than me. But uh, I got my start, as I said, skating at three and on a team at four. And obviously, with all, with all your hard work and determination, uh, it led you to be drafted 108th overall by the Colorado Rockies, which obviously later ended up becoming the New Jersey Devils when they relocated back in 1981. What was the process like of getting drafted and just getting your name out there in the hockey world? Yeah, you know what? It's it's such a fine line. Uh, you know, there are so many great hockey players, uh, you know, not only in North America, but obviously in Europe as well. Um, you know, back in my era, the NHL was predominantly Canadian and American players, uh, not as many European players. Um, and there was actually less teams, obviously, too. So um, it's kind of, you know, the hockey has grown worldwide, uh, but the NHL has grown as well. So you see there's more opportunities because there's more jobs uh, with more teams being in the NHL. Um, for me, I consider myself one of the lucky ones. 
there was decisions made along the way. Um, and fortunately, they turned out to be the right decisions for me. Um, quite often, um, kids and parents make decisions that are going to affect um, an athlete's future. And for me, um, again, I consider myself to be one of the lucky ones because it's hard enough to play and be seen and be drafted and make it to the NHL that route, but it's even harder to stay. And I realized that I was very fortunate to be drafted. I was very fortunate to be given an opportunity to play, um, but I know that I wouldn't have played 15 years if I didn't deserve it. So I'm going to be kind of long-winded here, but I think it's important that people understand uh, there are a lot of different paths to make it to the NHL. We see a lot of players that are undrafted make it to the NHL. Uh, we see players that are drafted in the first round that never play a single game. So a lot of things need to align for that to happen. Um, for me, I actually go back as far as my Bantam year of playing, uh, and that's 13, 14 years old in Toronto. Um, you know, when I was younger, for four years in a row, I played at the top age group of travel hockey. Uh, in Toronto and Toronto was the hockey hotbed uh, we won four city championships in a row and crazy as it may seem and, and I see it here in New Jersey um, you know everybody's saying these kids are going to go to the NHL at you know 12 and 13 years old and the reality is it's a long road uh, we won four city championships in a row going into my Bantam year I wasn't a very big kid but I was very consistent I was a big part of those four championships I was cut uh, from the double A team. We didn't have triple A back then, but I was cut from the double A team. Um, I was a little bit devastated um, and realized that I had to try to continue to work hard and, and improve. Um, I changed organizations that year. I still played at the A level that year. Uh, it took me a couple of years to get back to playing at a higher level. But, you know, for me, it was determination of my, of my own because um, I found out the reason I wasn't selected was because of my size. I had no control over that, but I can control how I reacted to not making that top level team. Uh, so again, as I said, it took me a couple of years to get back to playing at that higher level. Um, and I ended up playing in a tier two junior league um, at 15, 16 years old, um, which helped me a little bit. It's probably more widely recruited now. Uh, with regard to college and NHL teams maybe looking at those leagues. Uh, but back in my day, it really wasn't. And I was very fortunate. Um, I was actually drafted by the Oshawa Generals, which is major junior A hockey in Ontario. Um, and I actually went to training camp and I made the team. Um, I would have had to relocate school-wise. And I just wasn't really comfortable with the school situation there. And I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to follow through with playing for them. Uh, I'm going to go back uh, for my senior year of high school, play that tier two junior league and decide to go to college. And once you make that decision, um, word gets out there and word got out there to some of the colleges and universities in the States that, um, you know, I was choosing college or playing junior hockey because at that time, most of the players made it to the NHL through junior hockey. But I said, you know what? If I'm not going to make it as an NHL player, uh, I better have a college background to back me up. And I didn't really know a lot about the University of Wisconsin. Uh, I was recruited by a bunch of schools in the East uh, where financial aid was going to be a part of it. Uh, but the Wisconsin Badgers offered me a four-year full scholarship offer, and I chose to go to Wisconsin over those other schools. What I didn't know was the smartest decision I ever made in my life. Um, 
the year before I arrived, they finished 10th last place in their league in the WCHA. Um, my first year at Wisconsin, we had nine freshmen come in that year. Uh, my roommate was from Winnipeg. He was homesick after a month and went home. And I can't tell you what happened. And this is how lucky I was. Um, that first year, we won the national championship. So for the team to go from 10th place to winning the national championship in one year, um, it's a tribute to the recruiting staff, uh, which Badger Bob Johnson was there. Everybody knows who Badger Bob Johnson is in hockey worlds, went on to coach in the NHL. He was our head coach. Their head recruiter, his name is Grant Stanbrook, um, who Grant spent 15 years at Dartmouth, 15 years at Wisconsin, then 15 years plus at Maine. Great recruiter. Um, I will lay a lot of the um, praise on him to re help recruit me to that to the Wisconsin Badgers. And ended up having a great career there. Played three years in three national championship games in a row. Um, my sophomore year was probably the best best team we had on paper. We lost in the championship game, but then again won um, the following year as a junior. And I apologize, I'm going on, but it's just a, it's just a crazy story how things work out for you. Um, my senior year, I fully expected to just go back and play, but I was invited to try out for the Canadian Olympic team that year from 1983 and 84. And it was a big decision to make because I had to go through a couple different uh, training camps, made it through two. Uh, there was no guarantee I was going to play on Team Canada when the Olympics rolled around in 1984. Uh, quite frankly, we came off a trip uh, to Sweden in September. Uh, with a mandate from the head coach, Dave King, uh, that he was either going to cut uh, myself or another player um, after one of the games. And the other player was Kevin Deneen, who had a tremendous uh, NHL career as well. He was going to cut one of us. Uh, I don't even remember the game. It was just, you know, nervousness. Uh, we played the game. We both got called into his office the next day, and he decided to keep both of us. And ironically... Um, I essentially went from being like the eighth, ninth defenseman. Once the Olympics rolled around, I was top four. Um, and Kevin Denny ended up being one of our top forwards as well. So it's crazy how those things sometimes occur. Uh, so went through that Olympic year. Uh, this was four years after the miracle on ice, uh, which I look back on and realize that it truly was a miracle that the U.S. team was able to win the gold medal in 1980. Um, because again, all the top Canadian U.S. players back then were playing in the NHL. It was different back then. It was all amateurs, uh, where the Russian players, the Czech players, even some of the Swedes and Finns were playing um, in pro leagues as well. Um, we didn't have that option. It was all young players like the U.S. did in 1980. Uh, we beat the U.S. the first game that year. Um, I had two of my college teammates on that team. Pat Flatley was my college team at Wisconsin, was on our team with the Canadians. Uh, we made it to the bronze medal game. We lost to Sweden. Basically, it was a one-goal game with an empty netter, but it was a tremendous experience, and the U.S. finished seventh that year. So you see how back in that day, the Olympics was so difficult for the U.S. or Canada to win in that era uh, between about, you know, 76 till the pros could start playing in 96. So I only say that because, you know, I, we had a tremendous Olympics. Um, we didn't win a medal, fully expected to come back um, and finish up my last year at University of Wisconsin. And here's where being drafted by a certain team really comes into play and how that helps you. Um, of the 23 players we had on that Canadian Olympic roster, we had 17 players in the NHL the next year. 
We were a very, very young team. That was the Mario Lemieux draft year. We had Kirk Muller, who played, had a tremendous over 1,000 games in the NHL career, was 17 years old. He played on our Canadian Olympic team, was drafted by the Montreal Canadiens that year. I'm thankful that I was drafted by the Devils. Well, it was the Rockies that became the Devils because the Devils organization, the team was not very good back there. So they literally called me after the Olympics, asked me to come in on a tryout basis at the end of the year um, and see if I could play in the NHL. For me, it wasn't a very difficult decision because going to training camp, I realized back in those days, 65 players are in camp. You really have got to be noticed as a young player to make a roster. Here I was being asked to come in at the end of the year, given an opportunity to play in live NHL games at the end of the year to try to get my foot in the door. It was an extremely easy decision for me to make to decide to, to turn pro at that point. So things just continued to work out for me. I went to New Jersey, uh, came to New Jersey here, uh, played a few games. The team was eliminated from the playoff race. Uh, the general manager, Max McNabb, said, you know what, Bruce, let's send you to the minor league team. They're fighting for the playoffs. It'll give you the opportunity to still play at a high level pro hockey once we're, our season's done. And again, great move by him, helped jettison my career, went down to the minor league team in Portland, Maine, and we won the Calder Cup. So it's just crazy to be able to be in two national championship games in 1981-1983, play in the Olympics in 1983-84, have a chance to get my foot, door, foot in the door playing in the NHL for a few games and then get sent to the minors and win the Calder Cup in 1984. That clearly helped jettison my career the next year uh, when I came back for training camp with the Devils in 1983 and 1984-85 to get secure a spot on that NHL roster. And you talked about crediting uh, Logan Satara with this, uh, with this <laughs> Zoom interview. Um, I lay a lot of credit with a former NHL player um, who helped me along the way in my first training camp. Uh, Bobby Larmer, who played a long time with the New York Islanders. Um, back then, we played like 13 preseason games. I think I played in nine. And Bob Larmer was my partner in like seven of them. We weren't on for a single goal against. And that's to be able to play with a veteran player in preseason games, a guy who's seasoned, who's a very defensive-minded player, really helped me. It helped me get my foot in the door, and I made the Devils that year. So it's kind of an incredible ride. Uh, if I had chosen to stay with the Oshawa Generals, I may have never been drafted. That team was really deep and really good. Um, or if I chose a school and didn't have the, you know, the exposure that I had with national championships or have a chance to play in the Canadian Olympic team. So that's how sometimes it's a very, very fine line on who makes it and who doesn't. Um, and I know I'm very, very fortunate that I was in the right place at the right time. But as I said earlier, it, you don't play 15 years in any professional league if you don't deserve to be there. So I know I deserve to be there, but I'm definitely one of the lucky ones to have even been given an opportunity. That is a uh, fantastic story. Basically, you talked about your time, uh, you know, playing at the college level, playing on the Olympic teams, and then going over to the New Jersey Devils organization. And now this kind of leads into the next subject, which is you talked about humble beginnings. You talked about the process of at first joining the New Jersey Devils organization, but you were a part of the first ever championship with the Devils organization. And I talked about some of the players you played alongside with. And uh, uh, a couple of the of my fans asked, uh, asked you, like, what was the overall atmosphere like? What was the 
process like of becoming Stanley Cup champions? Because I want to add on to it. You guys were heavy underdogs going into the matchup against the Detroit Red Wings because that was a team that had seven future Hall of Famers on their roster. So you guys definitely had your work cut out for you, but you guys were able to come away with the upset victory and you brought a title home to the state of New Jersey for the first time in franchise history and you were one of the leaders. So I just wanted uh, you to talk about like that overall championship experience and just the process of getting to there and what the overall feeling was like to win it. Yeah, you know what? It was it's it's interesting. So you brought up John McClain and Ken Danico. And you know, there were others in those first few years, the Kirk Mullers, the Pat Rabiks, the Joe Sorellas. Um, you know, we had those those six guys played together for quite a few years. Um, the three, uh Danico, McLean and I saw and myself lasted through 12 years uh, of playing with the Devils before winning a Stanley Cup. But if we go back to 1987. Uh, being the first year we made the playoffs and we actually had to win in overtime in Chicago to knock the Rangers out of the playoffs and put us into that last seed. That's really where things started. Um, we hadn't made the playoffs as an organization uh, to that point um, and to win that year. And we almost made it to the finals that year in 1987. We lost to the Boston Bruins um, in the garden and they went on to play the Edmonton Oilers for the Stanley Cup. So we were one step away from playing for the Stanley Cup in our first appearance. And we were still a pretty young team, but a balanced team of, of young players and veterans. And, um, you know, having that success, we would have thought the next year it would have transferred into another run. And unfortunately it didn't. Uh, we didn't make the playoffs the following year. Um, we got back to the playoffs the year after that, but we got bounced from the playoffs in the first round those next few years. Um, Jacques Lemaire came in um, and brought Larry Robinson along with him. Um, and it kind of changed a little bit the style and the way that we played played the game. Uh, they came in 1992-93 season, uh, which we had a pretty good year that year. And a lot of people still today, especially in this area, uh, point to the Stanley Cup playoffs in 1993-94. And for us as an organization, um, that really put us kind of back on the map of being a legitimate team. We, we had a really good year. Um, in 91-92, things started to swing a little bit in our favor. We were one of the better teams in the league. 93-94 um, was the year the Rangers won the Stanley Cup. And it's, it's odd to me that most people spend more time and put more focus on our Game 7 uh, conference final than the actual Stanley Cup final that year when they beat uh, Vancouver Canucks in seven. Uh, a lot of people don't remember that they went seven games with Vancouver to win the Stanley Cup that year. Everybody points to our series going seven, Mark Messier uh, giving the guarantee in game six that they were going to win. Um, that year really, really helped us the following year in figuring out how consistent we needed to play. Um, the fact that we lost in game seven to the Rangers was, was a difficult pill to swallow. Uh, we felt game six, we had the game in command. We made some mistakes in that game. Uh, that we really didn't make throughout the playoffs that really cost us winning that in six. And when you go game seven, anything can happen. We all know we went to triple overtime and the Rangers ended up pulling out a win and went on to win the cup. But you fast forward now to the following year, very strange year. You know, collective bargaining agreement was over uh, that summer. Then the Rangers won the Stanley Cup. Um, I was the player's representative for the Devils. So I was well versed in what was going on and how negotiations were going. It was a lot different in that day and age 
you know, we're sitting here talking in a Zoom meeting when back then computers weren't very big. We didn't have cell phones. All the all the conversations and all the information being sent was being sent by fax. Um, I was getting faxes at three o'clock in the morning with updates on what was going on, trying to keep our players abreast with what, what was going on. Uh, we did have training camp that year. Uh, we got locked out basically right after the last preseason games with an unknown on when the season was going to start. Uh, and being the player rep and one of the assistant captains of the team, I decided to try to see if we can keep as many players as we could together throughout the year until the lockout was over. Uh, we rented ice at the practice facility that we were at. We couldn't obviously use the devil's locker rooms, uh, but we just rented the ice and tried to play pickup hockey three days a week with as many guys as possible that were going to be around. Guys came and went throughout the year. My hope that was we we're going to try to stay bonded and stay together as a team as long as we could until the season got going. So normally the season starts in October. Uh, we found out, I want to say around January 9th, that the season was going to happen. The lockout had ended. An agreement had happened. Uh, we started, I think, around the 20th of January with a shortened season. Um, I thought we were going to get, get out to a good start of the season, and we did not. Unfortunately, it is what it is. Uh, it was you know, still a competitive league, so every game really meant a lot because the season was shortened. We stumbled a little bit, a little bit early in the year. We recovered midway through the year, had a decent year. Uh, but as you said, we were the underdogs in the playoffs. And we were actually underdogs even going into the playoffs. A lot of people don't realize 16 teams make the playoffs. We were the number nine team points overall, which meant when we started the playoffs, we were the fifth seed. We had to start on the road. Uh, we started on the road in Boston that year. Um, and to win the Stanley Cup that year, you got to win 16 games. We all know that. We were 11-1 and one on the road that year. We were only 6-3 and three at home. But we're 11 and one on the road. Um, I can't really describe it because I, I, you know, I've been coaching now for 23 years. I tell the kids you can't turn the switch on and off. But it might be the only time I've seen a team turn the switch on. And I don't know. I can't tell you exactly how it happened because our last couple of games to finish the regular season, we were not very good. Um, all I really recall is we went into Boston the day before we played. We had a short practice. It wasn't a long practice, but the practice to me was so crisp. Every drill we did, the guys were dead bang on. Our passing was on. Our defending was on. We seemed to have kind of that readiness that we were ready and prepared for the playoffs. And we won that first game in Boston. And our confidence just grew throughout the playoffs. There was a lot to be said about our system. The word trap came up in the media a lot that word was not part of our vocabulary and everybody tried to describe how we played and positionally where we stood on the ice and what we were trying to do um, they didn't exactly have everything right um, our coaches were brilliant um, we essentially dictated to their team when we couldn't forward check when we knew we couldn't forward check hard we literally gave the other teams one option to pass the puck on their breakouts. And we all knew exactly where that pass was gonna go because that's the option we gave them. We didn't take away this, we didn't take away that. We forced teams to make that first pass where we wanted to make that first pass. And then immediately when that pass occurred, we jumped. Excuse and we tried to take away things from that point. 
I don't mean to interrupt you, but it did. Uh, I, I just wanted to add on to that because my dad, uh, being a Detroit Red Wings fan, he talked about how you guys, I know you, you say you don't want to use the word trap, but you guys ran that certain defensive play that helped you rack up the wins. And uh, in your story, I also want to like hear your opinions on uh, on the thoughts that people have, including some of my colleagues uh, who say that uh, the devil's uh, trap defense ruined hockey, made it boring, whatever the case might be. And since you're a former player and also currently a coach, I just was curious to hear your perspective in that regard as well, because I personally think that it was per perfectly justifiable because you guys ran a playbook that helped you win. And I, I don't see any issue with it. And obviously the league had that uh, meeting during the lockout a few years later um, to like either ban it or make modifications to it. But I don't, I personally think you guys just ran with what you got. So when you're talking about that playoff run, I would also like to hear your thoughts on like the outside noise, basically saying like, Oh, you guys ruined hockey with ruined the hockey with the yeah, you know what? A lot of people say that, but they don't realize. Again, it was, it was all about um, playing well without the puck. Again, when we could go on offense, we knew when we could forecheck hard and aggressively, we were going to go. It wasn't like we just dumped the puck in and sat back and waited. Um, I, I look at the 2000 and the 2003 teams, and even the even the teams in between with the Devils, uh, you know, the 01 team, the 99 team. Um, you know, for a long stretch of time, those teams offensively had more offensive talent than our team in 1993, 94, 95, that era. Um, they played the exact same system. If you look at the stats for those teams, 99 through 2003, 2004, the Devils are scoring the most goals in the league, or they were up there in the top three or four, playing the exact same system. So nobody was making any noise back then when they were playing that system. They just had a few more offensive weapons. Um, you know, it was just brilliant for us to play that patient system when we knew we couldn't forecheck. And that was the only that was the only time we didn't go. When we could forecheck hard, we went hard. We just knew that we could create a lot of uh, turnovers by playing that system. The teams after us, as I said, the Devils did that after us. It just took a while for teams to figure out how to play against that. What a lot of people don't realize is, well, that that playoff year, not only did we have to start every every uh, series on the road and our tremendous record of 11 and one. The reason why we had success, another reason why we had success is because we could roll four lines and we could roll uh, all, all six defensemen. Our coaches have the confidence in playing everybody. A lot of people don't realize our fourth line was key. They were called the crash line for a reason. It was Bobby Halik. Mike Peluso and Randy McKay. I think Randy McKay, if he didn't have the second most goals on our team that playoffs, he had the third most goals on our team. Think about that. A fourth line player having the second or third most goals scored in an entire playoff year. You'd have to go through some stats, but I'm not sure that's happened uh, with any other Stanley Cup team where the fourth line players scoring the second or third most goals in the playoffs for a team. That just shows you that we're able to roll four lines wear teams down, play in their zone, and ultimately going to play the Detroit Red Wings in the Stanley Cup final. You know, it was on ESPN that in those days, and, you know, obviously covered by a bunch of different stations and a bunch of different media outlets. Everybody was calling for a sweep by the Detroit Red Wings. And by that point, we were a pretty confident group, and we knew, you know, we weren't so sure 100% that we're going to win the Stanley Cup, but our goal was going in. We had confidence in, in the ability of our team and our system 
And we knew that if we played and stayed to, to within our system, that was going to give us the best chance to win. We had a gutty effort in that first game to win that first game. And a lot of people point to the goal that Scott Niedermeyer, Scott Niedermeyer scored on an end-to-end -end rush in game two that was the pivotal point of the series turning in our favor. And anytime you can win two games on the road in the Stanley Cup final and come up, come home being up to nothing is a huge, huge momentum shift mentally for the team that's up. Um, so Scott Niedermeyer scored that terrific goal and then rush. We win that game. We come home. You know, athletes a lot of times say they don't listen to the media. They don't listen to what's going on. Some players do. Some players don't. Some players shut it out. The stuff is out there. You know, we're all having to do media meetings after every game and in between days. The media is bringing up. So it's something that you're certainly aware of, whether you're following the media or not. You're being asked the questions. Um, and we are being asked the questions. You know, what's going on? How are you guys so successful against Detroit? We said, look, we're just staying true to our system. We're going hard when we can. And when we can't, we're making sure that we're in good position defensively. So, um, Everybody else was saying that the Detroit Red Wings were going to have to change the way they play to play against us. To us, that was just noise. You know, we couldn't control what other teams could do. At any time during the playoffs, we could only can control what we, what we could do. We had no idea what was going on in Detroit's locker room, whether they were making changes to try to play the, way, the system that was going to be different to what they wanted to play against us. We were going to play our system. And fortunately for us, we went on to win two more games and ultimately won the Stanley Cup. Don't worry, there's still more in store with Bruce Driver. But before we continue, I want you guys to snack a little healthier. So I'm going to tell you about Built Bar. So looking for a delicious treat, but don't want all the fat and calories, you got to try a Built Bar. I know that during the holiday season, your New Year's resolution was to eat happier and eat healthier. So you got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're, they're so delicious, you won't even think they're good for you. Perfect for your New Year's resolutions. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for stars, are covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but somehow, some way, only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugars with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head over to the nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. If you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with our hit flavors, brownie batter, and churro. You can thank me later. And now, do you want to make some extra money? I know I certainly do. So I'm going to tell you about FanDuel. So the midway point of the NBA season is here. And now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because our new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from money line to point scores and three-pointers drain. So go Lakers. Hopefully they can get into that play-in position. So you know the drill. Head over to our friends at Locked On Bets for all your betting needs there as well. And make sure you always gamble responsibly. Okay, I've held you up long enough. Let's get back to our conversation with 1995 Stanley Cup champion Bruce Driver. Take it away. Okay, so uh, obviously you've played with the likes of Scott Stevens, Scott Niedermeyer, John McClain, uh, Martin Brodeur, and sometimes they have a, especially Scott Stevens, Dan Danico, Martin Brodeur, they usually get a bad rep around 
the league and fans alike because it seems like the New Jersey Devils are the team that everyone likes to um, to hate on. But uh, obviously, you've had the chance to play with them, so I want to hear your thoughts on how they were as players and 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 your overall thoughts on where they uh, where they stand in NHL history. All great players. I mean, obviously, you know, we've got we've got two Hall of Famers, obviously, and in, in Stevens and and Martin Brodeur. I mean, huge pieces to to the puzzle of the of the organization winning Stanley Cups. You know, there's five guys that were on um, on those Stanley Cup winning teams. So, um, you know, it, I I just look at that group and the success of that group. I mean, I was a little bit older, so I retired in 1998 and. You know, I was working with the organization in 2000, 2003 when they won the Stanley Cups. But, um, you know, that, that group of players stuck around there for a number of years. And the reason why they won the Stanley Cup, uh, you know, was not only the play of those players, but the, the way the organization was pointed. Um, and you look at Lou Lamorello did a terrific job of bringing in the right players at the right time, having a great scouting staff as well. Uh, the team built with built from within uh, with some of the players that came up and played like uh, Peter Sikora, Patrick Elias, those guys were in the minors. Colin White was in the minors. Um, you know, a lot of those guys came up and played pivotal roles and then winning Stanley Cups in 2000 and 2003. And it's the reason why, if you look at the two organizations and it's, it's, you bring up the Detroit Red Wings. If you go back to the early 1990s through about 2003, 2004, uh, and you take out take the points of accumulation of the two organizations within that time period. Those are the top two in the NHL in that time period. And you know you've seen the recent years of both the struggles of the Devils and the Detroit Red Wings over the last you know I don't know X number of years. There's a reason why. You know you point to all those glory years when you're at the top of the heap. And you're not getting those high draft picks in the first round and the second round, you know, you're getting, you're getting later picks in the rounds, certainly through trades, conditional draft picks, you can move up in, in the draft and trade players for higher, higher first round picks and second round picks. And a lot of the GMs try to do that. Uh, but ultimately when you look at it, a lot of organizations have success from building within not going out and getting players. And there's an example of two organizations that have done that. Um, and two organizations that struggled the last few years. But you look at both organizations now, certainly the Devils are coming on with the year that they've had this year, uh, tremendous year, and Detroit's getting absolutely better and better every year too. They're a young team and getting better because now they're reaping the benefits of the players that they drafted five and six years ago they're developing. Uh, my final question for you is, uh, you just mentioned the New Jersey Devils. Uh, currently, I don't know how closely you follow along with the team, but obviously they're – they're tops in the Metro. They're second at the time being, and we're seeing the surges of Nico Heischer, who's also a captain with the organization, similar to your track history. Jack Hughes seems to be uh, the, the, the next uh, best thing for a devil's organization. He might go down as the greatest skater to ever play. Uh, if all goes well, then obviously you got Jesper Bratt, an underdog story. Vitek Vanacek has surprised a lot of people when comparing this current New Jersey devils team to your championship caliber team, what are some of the similarities do you see? Do you think this team can make a deep playoff run or do you think they're just still a, a couple years away from that uh, statement? You know what? It, it's very, very difficult to predict anything. The, the, the game, 
the game has changed a decent amount. Um, there's an awful lot of skill level out there. I still feel very strongly that the regular season playoffs is different than the regular season playoffs. Things tend to tighten up a little bit more. Things are a little bit more physical in the playoffs. Um, you got to play more of a grind out style in the playoffs. Um, in saying that, you know, the Devils are such a highly skilled team. They're a very aggressive team on the floor check. They're hard on the puck. The thing that's different between this year's team and last year's team that I see, this team is winning more puck battles. They seem to be a little bit stronger in the puck. They may not be the biggest team in the league, uh, but they certainly are very tenacious in winning puck battles. And that's half the battle because when you have the puck more than the other team, it's like watching a Super Bowl, uh, watching football. If you can have your team on offense and wear the other team down defensively, it's only going to be in your favor. It's really an unknown with this team. They're so skilled. Uh, they've had tremendous runs this year. You know, they went on a tremendous winning streak early on and then had a month that was just disastrous. And it's great news that they've bounced back um, and had a great another, another month, uh, month long period of playing very well. Consistency is the key for this team and consistency on playing without the puck. They're a tremendous team when they have the puck. But I look back to our teams and all that success that the organization had in the 90s and the early 2000s. And those teams, as much as the 2000-2003 team were won by a high-powered offense that scored a lot of goals, when they had to shut teams down, they were able to shut teams down. So playoffs, no matter who it is, you look at the Boston Bruins and the season that they've had this year, tremendous hockey team, very consistent game in and game out. The Stanley Cup's going to come down to the team that plays defense. You even look at, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning, who ended up winning a few years ago, and they won a 2-1 final game. That's a high-powered offensive team. How did they win? They played a 2-1 game and won by playing strong defensively. So at the end of the day, I think playoffs, when playoffs rolls around, you're going to see a lot of teams tighten up defensively. It's going to be a lot tougher to score goals. The team that comes out on top is the team that's able to play in those tight games. The good news for this New Jersey Devils team is, so far this year, they've been in a lot of tight games and come out on the winning end of it. So we certainly hope as Devil fans that that continues. Um, I do still work for the organization uh, in their grassroots program, helping little kids. We're teaching little kids how to play hockey. Um, I do get a lot to, to get to a lot of Devils games as well. And when I don't, I'm watching them on TV, TV and cheering them on as well. Well, that's great to hear. Bruce, uh, thank you for taking the time to join me on today's show. Um, uh, everyone, you can uh, follow Bruce on Twitter. What's your uh, Twitter handle, Bruce? My Twitter handle is... Uh, B driver 23, I believe. I'm not even sure. I'm not a big Twitter user. I'm on there a little bit. You can find me though. It's pretty easy to find me on Twitter. Bruce, any uh, final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, no, just uh, hoping the devil's trend continues here. I know Jack's uh, Hughes is out for a little bit here and hopefully he won't be out very long. We'll get Jack Hughes back. Um, team still play, played pretty well without him uh, last game. So we hope he gets healthy soon. Uh, and the Devils have a good stretch run here in Morristown. You know, our girls are plugging along. I'm still coaching the same team that Logan Satara played, played on here. Uh, Morristown Barrett school. We're in a, we're in one league championship game this Thursday. Hopefully we can get that done. Uh, we play in an out of state uh, league as well. And that's those championships are this weekend. Hopefully we fare well then. Uh, then our state championship starts the following week. So we still got a lot of hockey left here in New Jersey for our high school team that I coach and, uh, hopefully we have success as well. 
and Logan and I will be traveling to Colorado in a couple of days for her regional. So Bruce, thank you for taking the time, talked about everything and uh, being a championship uh, player. It was nice to hear your insight and also hear your perspective on this current Devils team. Great. Thank you very much, Trey. And good luck to you guys as well.